What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Happy Monday. Monday is my newsletter day. I send out a free newsletter every week called the Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. I've been doing it for years and years. It is a long form summary of what's happened in the last week in Bitcoin. For years, it went out on Friday, uh, but Friday seemed to be where you know people uh, didn't click it as much as they do on Mondays. So I'm sending it out on Mondays. And it also gives a good summary of what happened over the weekend. You know, people might have been out living their lives to the fullest and not paying attention to all the headlines. So that's a good day to drop it on Monday. Anyway, that's what we're going to do today. So let me share my screen and pull it up here. I am live streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, Twitch, and Telegram. So uh, guys over on Telegram, you don't get the screen, but... I dropped the newsletter in there just a minute ago, and you can follow along if you would like to. So, okay, this is the website, BitcoinAndMarkets.com, the center of all my content, and you can support me there, uh, support my work. This is a listener-supported, member-supported podcast and community. I appreciate everybody that supports my content. It is very, I think it's unique. I've been pushing the deflationary bandwagon for a long time now in Bitcoin. I was out there on my own for a very long time. And just recently now, I've started seeing some hints of others joining me on this side of the fence. (laughs) And uh, it's starting to sink into people. I think this entire framework that I've built out about how Bitcoin can win in deflation and how this system is going towards deflation, uh, it is catching on with at least a certain segment of the Bitcoin community and and stuff, people that have been around for a long time. Uh, I think from gold bug world into Bitcoin, maybe they're more like sound money, uh, Austrian followers. They're done waiting. They're done waiting for this. And my narrative, my framework seems to make a lot of sense to people. So anyway, if if you're finding my stuff for the first time, that's a little summary. I'm a contrarian guy here in Bitcoin. Look at the fundamentals. Been around for a while. Okay. So this is the fundamentals report number 249 and i saw this from memeing bitcoin he had two different images okay i start off every report with a meme that is just summarizes what's going on or is cool meme and uh, gets us ready to read about bitcoin but okay so this is the largest bitcoin mine in rockdale nice clean environment, lots of plants. Like remember Pierre Rochard was walking through the field and there was all these little tiny weeds and he's like, look at all these plants. But really there there are quite a few plants. It looks like there might be some uh, planted forests around here too, actually. But anyways, um, that looks very nice. And then you have the largest gold mine in the world. This one is in Uzbekistan and it's just an environmental disaster. It's just a disaster. And I'm not a big environmentalist guy. I think the free market will solve this. Uh, the free market will solve it. And not, not. I guess I shouldn't call it the free market, the market, because free market is redundant. And I think that the government is part of the market. And that's why the market works against the government in certain aspects, because the market uh, or the government tries to change things in the market uh, blah, blah, blah. the government tries to change things and the market pushes back because the government is part of the market. They can disrupt the market for a period of time, but they can't continually disrupt it and change the entire path of the way things are going. We have a pendulum back and forth. We have a pendulum in say um, inventory levels, right? And we have a pendulum with politics and we have a pendulum with commodity prices and with markets and with Bitcoin. So all of these pendulums, these are market forces going back and forth and politics and government are just another piece of the puzzle. Um, So anyway, that's (laughs) getting into my philosophy here. So, all right, let's go to snapshot of Bitcoin. I just have a nice little table up here for people to get a quick snapshot (laughs) and see what I'm thinking. So consolidate to break out. That's the weekly trend. Consolidate to break out. We're going to take a look at a price chart here in a minute. Media sentiment is positive. And if you guys have been listening to my content for, you know, the bear market going into this bull market, 
media sentiment was very negative around FTX, and I had it on here, very negative. It's flipping. It started flipping uh, into less negative, slightly negative, to slightly positive, to now completely positive. And I was saying that whole time that we are going to see this progression from negative to positive. And now we are in full-blown positive mode. We're going to go through a couple of these stories. Um, and it's very, very bullish. It's very bullish. Of course, there are still some negative pieces out there, uh, articles. But for the most part, I would say right now, especially this week, we're over 50% positive media sentiment for Bitcoin. All right, network traffic is low. The transactions going through, you know, the amount of transactions going through is low and the mempool is getting eaten through. We will look at that chart. Mining industry is stable and actually is robust. I could have said surging because the hash rate has been surging, but we'll cover that as well. Price section. So we are down $700 from last week's issue or about 2.4%. Market cap is still above half a trillion. Satoshis per dollar, 3301 and one finny, which is the perfect unit denomination for Bitcoin, is $3.03. All right. Mining sector. The last adjustment was negative uh, 3.25, but man, has hash rate surged. And it is estimated to be going up by over 7% tomorrow. So, I mean, the mining sector is doing fantastically. Mempool is right around 100 megabytes fees to get in the next block, 34 cents. Median fee is 30 cents. Lightning capacity. Now, this one kind of surprised me. Um, I have been probably more on the bearish side for Lightning as a Bitcoiner because I think the Lightning's great, but there are some fundamental uh, hurdles that still have not been cleared. And I don't know if, I don't think Lightning can scale to billions of users. So at least, you know, as a self-custody thing, maybe as a custodial thing, it could. Um, lightning on a side chain can scale. But anyway, I've been, I've been a little bit more bearish on Lightning. Uh, also looking at capacity and channels. I've been tracking this for several months and it continually has gone down, both of the capacity and the channels. But uh, this week, both are up. So 22 Bitcoins roughly have been added to capacity and about 90, almost 100 new channels have been opened up net. Okay, this is on net. But we need to see this way higher. I mean, we this isn't going to get my attention really until we hit maybe 10,000 Bitcoins and each Bitcoin is $100,000. I mean, then you're talking some major liquidity on the Lightning Network and channels need to be, I mean, these are public channels measured by uh, mempool.space, but you need a lot more than 70,000 channels to have this move the needle, right? You need 700,000 would move the needle a little bit, 7 million, then we're starting to talk here. So we need more channels, more capacity, and that will come hopefully in this bull market. Uh, there's quite a few things happening with lightning and we'll cover a major story here towards the bottom uh, of this report. But yeah, that's that's what's going on with the Lightning Network. So yeah, if you guys are new, I split this up into all sorts of different uh, sections. So we have Bitcoin and macro, price, mining, and Lightning. And we will go through each of those here now. If you missed any of my content from last week, there you go. You can find it there. All right, headlines. All Bitcoin spot ETFs have refiled. This is kind of old news now. Co covered it here on the podcast as well as on FedWatch. Uh, so let me just read what I wrote here. The biggest story over the last three weeks has been the BlackRock and subsequent Bitcoin spot ETF filings. Last week, they were returned by the SEC who wanted more clarity on the surveillance sharing agreements. All ETFs refiled almost immediately, though public announcements trickled out through the week and all claimed Coinbase as their exchange with their, uh, surveillance sharing agreement. Only BlackRock that I'm aware of has an agreement in place already as of June 16th. All right, next story. Larry Fink pulls U-turn on Bitcoin narrative. So this clip was all over. And I think FedWatch actually got taken down this week on 
um, YouTube, which surprised me <laughs> because we played this clip and we played another one from the WEF and somebody else claimed it, a copyright strike or whatever against the channel. Uh, that's the Bitcoin Magazine channel. And th I just saw that this morning and I pointed it out to them and they're they're on it to see what's going on with it. But um, yeah, we watched this video on FedWatch. Pretty much in this interview, Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock, who is the company that has shepherded this complete U-turn in the Bitcoin uh, media treatment and in the sentiment in the space. So anyway, in this interview, he says that Bitcoin is like digitizing gold and an international asset. He also claims it is a hedge against inflation and represents hope. I mean, he hit all Bitcoin narratives on the head, except for disintermediating trusted third parties. That's an important thing as well. But maybe, maybe we'll start hearing some of that. It was only a few years ago that he publicly bashed Bitcoin. Now, after the ETF filing, he's all for it. Fink wants to make sure his ETF is approved. And I embedded that for you guys. Okay, media coverage of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining has reversed dramatically. I saw this from Bitcoin Reserve. They're a good company. I've been on their podcast before. So uh, they have this image out showing pre-BlackRock, and they have all these negative headlines, and then post-BlackRock, and it's all these positive headlines for Bitcoin just in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's pretty amazing, this, this complete turnaround. I say the shift is palpable. BlackRock has massive influence in media, and you can see the marketing has begun. Of course, they... All they have to do is use the well-researched arguments Bitcoiners already use. The rapid shift in narrative out of BlackRock, not just in regards to Bitcoin, but also Fink's refutation of ESG is something I will be watching very closely. And this is in relation to this multipolar world. And I'll get into that. I actually mentioned this uh, at the end of these headlines here because I think this is important. Uh, this BlackRock flip-flop is a signal for what's going on in the halls of power, I guess, you know, in the powers that be. It is right now. I mean, it could all be for show, but I don't think so. I think there are some major shifts happening in the power structure of the world. But let's continue to the next story. Standard Charter boosts 2024 Bitcoin forecast to 120,000. I think that's a little bit low, but I quote from the article, I, I of course, link all these articles, but then I quote from them too to give you guys, you know, uh, readers, just a quick uh, synopsis of what is said in the article. Here we go. The value of top cryptocurrency Bitcoin, they should have just said the value of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is money. It is electronic cash, electronic money. That's what it is. Satoshi said it properly in the title of the white paper. It is not a cryptocurrency. I need to get that uh, the works of Satoshi and see if he ever used the term cryptocurrency. I don't know if he did. I don't think he did. Cryptocurrency is an affinity scam on Bitcoin. It's a term just like uh, um, the... What is it? Bitcoin dominance index using the word crypto for the entire industry. That is really Bitcoin and subsequent scams, affinity scams on Bitcoin. Uh, but yeah, cryptocurrency. It's just another scam term. All right. So the uh, they said could reach 50,000 this year and 120,000 by the end of 2024. Set uh, tr uh, Standard Chartered said on Monday, predicting the recent jump in its price could encourage Bitcoin miners to hoard more of the supply. And they have been actually selling their supply recently. Uh, and I mean, we'll go into this in the mining section uh, or in the, I think the price section. They, they've been uh, selling a lot of their coins. So that, that can't go on forever. You know, their reserves will eventually run out and they'll eventually have to stop selling their coins. So that is a future supply crunch. We can predict that. A future supply crunch is coming. People can price that in. That's how price moves, guys. Okay, Standard Charter published a 100,000 
end of 2024 podcast uh, forecast for Bitcoin back in April on the view of the so-called crypto winter was over. But one of the bank's top FX analysts, Jeff Kendrick, said there was now 20% more upside. Okay. Great. I don't know how they get into these, these type of calls. I mean, it just seems like round number guesses. Of course, they will continually... Um, move their forecast higher and higher. I think this is a, a low ball estimate, to be honest with you. And we'll get into why if you listen to my content. <laughs> All right, macro, macro headlines. This was one that I just saw from Zero Hedge this morning, but it goes, everybody's been talking about this, okay? Bricks to introduce gold back reserve currency. And I had, of course, my big rant on Friday, the podcast I put out, uh, the last podcast I put out uh, was my kind of after minutes or not after party, but, you know, I hang out on Telegram and talk a little bit and uh, after the live streams are done. And I went on this BRICS currency rant and I put that out in podcast form. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you guys check out that episode. It's epic. It is epic. But uh, th- this is just another form of dollar derangement syndrome. And we see this. I had suffered from dollar derangement syndrome for decades, guys. I was a gold bug. I was straight up on this um, anti, like thinking that this is the evil empire. The dollar supported this evil empire. That's all a symptom of dollar derangement syndrome. That's not the case. Okay. Money is adopted because it functions best as money. I don't, it's pretty damn simple. Money is convergent. When global economic circumstances change, this old money might not be well suited to the new economy. And so a new money will be globally adopted, not by fiat. Like these BRICS people can't come out and say, accept our new gold-backed currency, no one's going to do that. It does not have a financial system, a payment system. You know, can you even redeem it? Who's going to hold the gold? You know, is Xi Jinping going to hold the gold? Or is Lula in Brazil going to hold the gold? No, I mean, it's just ridiculous to think that there could be a BRICS currency, but every, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but so many people think this is a legitimate concern, a legitimate thing. I mean, it goes to Zoltan Pozar too. I mean, he is one of the most overhyped analysts in this decade, for sure. But anyway, so I I linked to the CFO of the BRICS Bank saying that it's not going to happen. Um, I say a new currency requires a massive financial and payments system around it. You cannot simply launch a new gold-backed currency and it become widely used and held. Bitcoin's experience demonstrates this. It takes years to slowly get adopted, working its way further into savings and reserves. Of course, there is a lot of gold in these reserves. Not much, really, if you think about it. China has a lot. Russia has some. They've been, you know, over the last couple decades, they've been getting more gold. Uh, I guess South Africa is the big mining for gold. But Relative to the G7 or something, these countries don't have a lot of gold, okay? And so they would have to get this into their savings and reserves and then talk about what's the financial and payments around it. Like if you have debt in gold-backed currency, how do I settle that debt? How do I make payments on that debt? Do I send the gold across the oceans? You know, what, what exactly is this, you know, can I trust you? Can I, can... China trust South Africa's government? I don't think so. So anyway, um, at least I'm, I'm typo there. At least some commentators are realizing that a gold backed, uh, sorry, that a gold backing would cause massive inflation in the very countries who want to use it. This is because of the fact that once you have a backing. And governments spent and government spending and debt is denominated in fiat in a fiat unit. It is simple to debase that unit. So 
this is not well understood by most people. So when you have a debt-based money like we have today, nobody has a go back or go back into their currency. We have debt-based money everywhere. And then, of course, you have gold, silver, and Bitcoin and other things. But I'm talking the na uh, nation states, the national governments, they use debt-backed debt currency, debt-backed currency. And you can't debase debt. I mean, you can make debt so that it's not, it's defaulted on, right? It's not paid. But think about this. When you have a gold-backed currency and you have gold set at $20.67, that's what it was for a long time in the United States. You can debase the money by changing the number of dollars per ounce. You just say it's $35 an ounce now, right? You're debasing against the backing. How can you do that with debt? $1 of debt today is $1 of debt tomorrow. You can't say that, oh, now this dollar is worth 80 cents. No, it's still worth a dollar. So you can't debase against anything. And once you have a gold-backed currency, guys, especially in these countries that are not super like fiscally responsible, you're going to have massive inflation. They're going to debase against the gold backing. 100%. And I think people are starting to realize that. Maybe, I don't know. But it seems like they are. Okay, the dollar has the superior position. They get to move second in this game. So in game theory, you know, you if it's not uh, synchronous movements, it's sequential movements. I think that's those are the terms. Sequential movement. So one person in the game gets to move and then the next person in the game gets to move and react. So the U.S. is in the superior position and gets to move second. Hands down, they're going to win this game. The dollar is going to win. So the dollar holds all the cards and the game-winning move. If the bricks stupidly go to gold, Wall Street and the Federal Reserve can start buying Bitcoin. And we're seeing this in the Wall Street about face here with BlackRock these spot ETFs, the mainstream media narrative. We're seeing them open the door to this game-winning move. So I don't think the BRICS would be this stupid, just on the game theory aspect of it. But as I was writing right on cue, the Indians pour more cold water on this topic. So this was a tweet from South Asia Index on Twitter. And out of New Delhi, it says, in a major blow to BRICS, India has backed out from creating a common BRICS currency for trade. Indian foreign minister says India will not support any common BRICS currency for trade. BRICS have been working a new common currency for trade between BRICS countries replacing the dollar. Not really. I mean, they, rhetorically they have, but not uh, in real life. And I think some of this behind why the BRICS are pushing this anti-dollar narrative so hard is because the yuan is in trouble. The Chinese, who are the BRICS, if you take the, if you take China out of the BRICS, it's nothing, right? So uh, the Chinese yuan is crashing against the dollar. So how do they have a at least you know soft power projection against the dollar against this exchange rate uh, collapse? Is you fud the dollar, and you talk up a BRICS gold back currency. That's going to put a floor under the yuan, or at least some support under the yuan, versus the dollar. That's that, a lot of this is due to that probably. All right, a prominent Chinese think tank has asked to expel India from BRICS declaring it the weakest link. Oh my God. BRICS continue or contribute 31.5% of global GDP, surpassing G, the G7 group, making it the biggest economic block. Many Western finance institutes have warned that a BRICS currency can challenge dollar dominance. Blah, 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 blah. No, it can't. So anyway, uh, not only does the bank, let's see, this is the BRICS bank CFO say nothing is going to happen. This is, this is all garbage. Now India is saying they're not going to do it. The most populous country in the world. 
who doesn't isn't having like really bad economic times right now. I have a tweet here. Let me see if I can pull this up. Right here, this is from, uh, is that Switch Labs? Navid. And he is talking about India's stand here. He says, India's stand, uh, sorry, India's external affairs minister, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, in a press conference held on Monday, 3rd of July, 2023. So this is a week ago now said that India has no plans for a BRICS currency. He declared a month before the summit that India might back out from creating the new currency. Instead, India is focused on strengthening its national currency, the rupee, and making rupee stronger will be the top priority of the Indian governments, or Indian government. On this next image, he says, justification for the stand. One, India is the only country in the bloc that is doing well in terms of GDP on its merit. Not China, not Brazil, not South Africa, not Russia. I mean, maybe Russia a little bit. They're doing okay. But India, the most populous country in the world that has decent demographics. I mean, they are struggling slightly with their demographics, but not nearly. I mean, they're in okay shape compared to China that is about to fall off a demographic cliff. They're in recession. Their currency is crashing. Their economy, I mean, it's just... Everything is bad for China. And now people say China wants to kick India out of bricks. Like, the, are you kidding me? I bet India's economy, I saw some uh, stuff going on Twitter today about uh, China is going to surpass U.S. GDP. You know, it's always eight years away or whatever. And then uh, India is going to surpass U.S. GDP by 2075. So India will become the second highest GDP in the world by 2075. I don't believe that. I think it's actually uh, going to surpass China, though. Uh, I think it will surpass China far before it would ever even threaten U.S. GDP. So, um, yeah, I think this is kind of crazy. Anyway, what's the next one? He says, as such, the country needs to support, needs no support from BRICS and can survive without the new BRICS currency. Number two, India also has good relations with the U.S. and Europe with trade and military deals worth billions of dollars. Country does not want to risk its trade with Western powers, believing in the yet-to-be-released BRICS currency. And there's also the, what, what's the term, AUKUS? No. What's the one with India? Is it Quad? They are in a loose military alliance or military pact I wouldn't know if I call it an alliance with uh, Japan and the US and I think maybe Australia as well to keep containment on China and China is supposed to be this a uh, great leader of the BRICS there's India and China are supposed to be the two big powers in the BRICS and they're at each other's throat fighting with fists in the Himalayas on their border it just doesn't make any rational sense, guys. <laughs> okay. Let's go back to the report here. Yield curve is off its extremes. If you notice in the chart below, recession comes after the yield curve inversion ends. This is characterized by a crashing, uh, yeah, crashing in short-term rates relative to longer-term rates. So usually the long-term rates will stay and the short-term rates will, will fall below. That will, you know, re-steepen the yield curve. Uh, as we edge toward the end of Q3 crunch time, we should expect this inversion to close and the financial press to concentrate more on it. So I'm, I'm trying to get out ahead of this, that it looks like this yield curve is up here, up slightly off of these extremes. And that could be, I mean, that could reverse too, but it, that could be the end and we could be going up here and the inversion is over. And if that is the case, I'm getting ahead of the calls from the mainstream media and the mainstream financial press uh, that they will be talking about this. And what follows this inversion once it corrects? So let's bring this back up. Once the inversion goes away, let's look. So here in 87, it touch, touches inversion, it goes back, and then there's a recession. Uh, dot com, inverted, goes back, recession. Of course, 2008, financial, great financial crisis, inverts, goes back, recession. 
uh, COVID even inverts, goes back tiny bit little recession. Each time here is after it reverts the inversion, do we get a recession? So if they're going to be talking about this, they're going to be obviously ca- having calls about recession. Uh, they Those will be deafening. However, while a mild recession looks likely, and I have stuck with this same, I guess, probability or odds here, I think it's 50% we have a, a mild recession, uh, 25% it's a major recession, and 25% there is no recession, like official recession. So even though a mild recession still looks likely, perhaps acknowledged by Q1 2024, so official, become I should have said perhaps becoming official by Q1 of 2024, it does not mean a bear market in Bitcoin or risk assets is imminent. And I didn't go more into that, but I probably should on a subsequent live stream or podcast or whatever. Okay, next story up. The real multipolar world to come. And this is what I was alluding to a little bit earlier. So um, let me just read through this. So last week on FedWatch, Nolan Bowerly and myself dug into a more realistic version of the coming multipolar world. We hear from geopolitical realists like Mearsheimer. And I I think Mearsheimer is extremely sharp. And he knows what he's talking about more than I do, more than I do on this topic. But I'm going to tweak his his thinking here a little bit. So um, he says that the poles of this new order that we're going into will be U.S., Russia, and China. But I don't think that's likely for several reasons, which I'll break down in an upcoming blog post, but suffice it to say here. Yeah, I will be writing this up in a longer blog post form. I have a couple irons in the fire on the blog post. I just uh, it's a matter of finishing up the blog post, but those will go out first to the paid members over on BitcoinMarkets.com, and then a couple of days later they'll go out to the public. But here we go. So China is in existential trouble economically. They cannot survive without the current international trade order. Demographics are horrible, and they are still a low-income country. Number two, Russia also has demographic problems and are caught between east and west. They will have. Uh, more clout on the international stage than China, but still have very little ability to project power outside their neighborhood. The U.S. is by far the most dominant, most efficient economy in the world, with the best demographics of any major power by a long way. It is more self-sufficient than any other country and has leads in almost every statistic that matters. The U.S. dominance is so great that it will be the source of two of the three poles. So it's not going to be China, Russia, U.S. There's going to be two poles that emanate from the U.S. and a third pole. But China isn't big enough in the future to provide that pole. Neither is Russia by themselves. So it's going to be U.S. versus the world, basically. But it's going to be... a. The real multipolar world is going to be Wall Street, Davos, and BRICS. That's my new kind of way of looking at this multipolar world that we hear all about. But uh, anyway, so that is the news headlines and some of my thoughts on the recent macro stuff. Let's get into price. Of course, you can become a market pro. Join the professional tier on the website for more in-depth price reports and actionable forecasts. I... uh, Put those out usually every Friday now. Uh, So Friday is the um, professional market pro newsletter. And then Monday is the free fundamentals newsletter that we're going through right here. Let me just uh, pause here for an admin note. Guys, I'm live streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, Telegram, and Twitch. If you are watching on Rumble and YouTube, please subscribe. Give me a comment down below. It helps people find the channel. All right. Let's get into this price section. So miners continue to move Bitcoin to exchanges. And I saw this from Dylan LeClaire this morning. And uh, I mean, this is just incredible. So this is a 30-day cumulative moving average. And wow. Wow. That's all you can say about this chart. We had peaks of around 16,000 in the past on a 30-day cumulative rolling average here. 
And now we're at 70,000 coins coming from miners to exchanges. Wow. And the market is absorbing that. And remember I said earlier that they're going to run out of coins. They can't sell like this forever. What do they have another couple weeks worth of coins? I saw a chart where the public miners, most of the public miners are actually adding to their coins. So this must be coming from pools, smaller miners, you know, the, the marginal miners. They're going to run out of Bitcoins fairly quickly. So that's part of the, I wanted to draw the attention to this. Then uh, Bitcoin, however, on the exchanges, it continues to go down. So we can see on this chart, the, the Bitcoin on exchanges continues to fall. Even though the miners are putting lots, 70,000 Bitcoins on an exchange in the last 30 days, it's still falling, falling off. It's crazy. Grayscale, here's Grayscale. GBTC discount is disappearing quickly, meaning people are buying the discount, either because they simply expect the price to rise or because they expect Grayscale to win the lawsuit with the SEC and become an ETF, you know, that they can uh, then redeem the Bitcoin and all that. So here is the chart on this. It's going up to about 27%. This can disappear very quickly. I mean, it's just been a week or two. Uh, it's gone from over 40 down to 27. Another couple of weeks, we could see it go from 27 down to 15, down to 10. By the end of Q3, I, that is the big flag, you know, the big glowing road sign up ahead of us. End of Q3. By end of Q3, this discount could be gone. And for that to happen, there has to be a lot of buying. All right, what next? So this was an interesting chart here from Rational Root that has been going around. He has his HODL model, and I haven't really followed him too much. I know he did a spiral chart. I know he has some stuff here about supply. Uh, you know, he is one of the most famous chartists right now. But I do say that this, you know, kind of his fame and his models, whenever I see a model and it's on a nice chart and these people are getting 100,000, 200,000 um, followers on Twitter. I'm like, oh, man, this is reminiscent of stock to flow. So uh, it has its predictions and this has its predictions and whatever. <laughs> but I do I do say I still agree with stock to flow. And that puts me at a in the minority of Bitcoiners as well that I still believe in stock to flow. I mean, obviously, it's not as mechanical as plan B made it out to be. But over the long term, it's going to properly predict price. I mean, I don't think anybody here listening to this is thinking that Bitcoin price is not going to be over $100,000 in, in a few years, even four or five. And if it does, it's going to catch up with the stock to flow model. All the people that have been poo-pooing on the stock to flow model, they're going to have to cope with it catching up to the stock to flow model. So anyway, let's uh, getting back to rational root here and his HODL model. Below, we can see that around the last halving, something changed and supply started to come off exchanges. It is interesting. The leverage grew without uh, throughout the 2020 bull market, probably partly to stem this tide of Bitcoin leaving exchanges. So let's bring this up. You can see around having number three is right here in the middle, pretty much corresponds with the top of the available supply for trade. And now Bitcoins are coming off exchange in this HODL, following kind of this HODL model that he has here. I think that's very interesting how it corresponded with the third having. And like I said, we had this rally and it was kind of uh, signified by an high use of leverage you know you had the DeFi stuff where you could leverage do flash loans and you had a lot of trading going on in ftx and it turns out they didn't have any bitcoin uh you, so you have like a ton of leverage in the system yet the bit the supply of bitcoin on exchanges was going down i think that's very interesting and perhaps the leverage had to get started because of the lack of bitcoin on exchanges but Anyways, okay, let's see what else I say about this. So lower level of Bitcoin on exchanges signals a move away from the speculative bootstrapping phase to the reserve saving phase. 
This could lead to rapid illiquidity and volatility if the price starts moving higher. It will provide a price floor below the price. And here are the dynamics of that. So uh, as price drops, the value of the Bitcoin that's held on exchanges drops, you know, as measured in dollars. The purchasing power of Bitcoin falls that's on the exchange. So on dips, the DCA army tends to increase their DCA. This results in more dollar value chasing less dollar value of Bitcoin. So that, that puts a floor under the price because the DCA army can afford more Bitcoin as the price dips. And I recommend if price dips 20%, you increase your DCA a little bit. You know, you hold back on your DCA a little bit every week or every month, however often you're buying. And if you have a big 20% drawdown, then you put an extra buy out there, saving a little bit of cash and reserve. And then you're going to make a larger one-time payment on the dips. And this, if a lot of people are doing this with the DCA army, they're going to be able to buy more absolute numbers of Bitcoins because the value of that Bitcoin is going down. I hope that that's, it's because there's, it's measured in different things. The inflow is measured in dollars, but the supply is measured in Bitcoin. So there's a mismatch there as price goes up and down. It has different, uh, different dynamics. The reverse also happens on blow off tops. As the price of Bitcoin rises rapidly, the dollar value of Bitcoin on exchanges rises rapidly. So the supply there to be sold. I was watching a video from uh, Sonny Decree this morning, and he is a longtime Bitcoiner. I used to watch him in years past. I haven't watched him for a long time, but he was saying that as price goes up, what happens is people put their Bitcoin on exchanges to sell it. I mean, yes, that's true to a degree. People will, you know, take some profit, especially if they want to live off their Bitcoin, they're going to live off their, their gains. But most of the increase in supply should be measured in dollars. You know, that there's more dollars of Bitcoin available because the price of Bitcoin just doubled or something, right? So if there's, say, $5 billion of Bitcoin on exchanges and the price doubles, you know, now there's $10 billion of Bitcoin on exchanges. And so that's the, that's the supply that we need to be comparing to demand. Not that somebody wants to buy a whole Bitcoin. No, somebody wants to buy $30,000 worth of Bitcoin. Okay, so I said that as long as demand outpaces this rise in dollar value on Bitcoin exchanges, price will continue to rise. The blow off top happens when price surges, say 100% in a couple weeks. The dollar value on exchanges surpasses the demand and then price drops. Now, being a Veblen good, those dynamics take over. Demand increases as price increases, and demand decreases as price decreases. And I, we've covered this on the show a lot. So people will chase. People will get FOMO, and it has its own demand. It stimulates its own demand. As price goes up, demand goes up. But as price goes down, demand goes down. That's why you hit a blow-off top. You have a huge amount of Supply comes into the exchange because price is going up, not because people are depositing Bitcoin, but because price is going up and that outpaces or surpasses the demand and price starts to drop and then demand drops because of the Veblen good dynamics. So this this could be a cycle. This could go all the way up, all the way down. But what puts a floor under this, what puts a floor under the price decreases and the demand decreases is the DCA army. And they're, they're stacking every week or every month, whatever, hodling or stacking. And they will add at the bottom. You know, they will add. Uh, this continues to go down until the inflow of the DCA army tips the scale back to forming a bottom. So that's how that works. Okay, went into depth on that. One second. My kids are loud. Let me tell them to be quiet. All right, back. So let's 
go on to the daily chart here. So the daily chart is struggling with this resistance zone, but it's holding the bull flag consolidation nicely. It is pinched between the center of the horizontal channel, the red dashed line, and 30,000. Downside is limited right now due to fundamentals, giving the upper hand to break out higher any time now. So this, I'm going to take a look at the live chart here, but this is what I put out on the report, trying to keep you guys updated on exactly what's going on. But let's go to the live chart. And we have broken up out of the bottom half of this channel. So very, very interesting here. I think obviously the DCA army will come in if there is a dip. So any sort of correction below 30,000, I think will be bought heavily. And with so little liquidity on the exchange, I, I think it is the fundamentals are just set up to have a quite a volatile move to the upside. We could see exactly like this here back in mid-June with the big daily green candles. We could be set up perfectly for that once again right now. So don't be surprised by that. Okay, going back to the report. Last week I said we were in the calm before the storm. It still feels that way, but everything is set for a quick move in the coming week. And I go way more in depth on my Market Pro on the charts. I do all sorts of indicators and oscillators and patterns and all that stuff. Uh, I have near term, or sorry, short term, mid, uh, Jesus, short term, medium term, and long term forecasts on there that are actionable forecasts. So uh, check out the professional tier on the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com, and uh, sign up. You help support my content, and you get all this extra stuff for the price. Okay, mining headlines. Everything you need to know about Bitcoin and the environment. So this is, I told you, we have a big shift in narrative going on about Bitcoin mining and about Bitcoin in general in the mainstream financial press. This is just one piece from... Forbes that came out, they had multiple pieces, positive pieces about Bitcoin this week. Um, so I say, wow, just read the first two paragraphs. So here we go. Bitcoin, the world's first decentralized digital currency, blah, 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 has been embroiled in a persistent debate regarding its environmental footprint. However, it is crucial to clarify that energy usage does not inherently lead to environmental harm. Wow, guys. Can you imagine them saying that just a month ago when they're fudding Rockdale, Texas and riot mining and saying that they are it's so horrible for the environment? And now Forbes, major, major mainstream media or financial press, whatever, uh, are saying that it's not inherently lead to environmental harm. That is such a 180. According to the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance. This is the Cambridge, uh, I think that they, you know, the ones that put out the Bitcoin mining stuff. Bitcoin's annual energy consumption amounts to a substantial 129 terawatt hours compared to that of entire countries and entire other industries. I mean, how much does the banking industry use? How much does uh, government use, government buildings? <laughs> you know, that is huge. So, okay, yet this comparison often leads to misunderstandings about the true nature of Bitcoin's environmental impact. In fact, the CCFA has determined that the Bitcoin industry uses a significant amount of renewable energy, sometimes more than half, depending on the jurisdiction. This is a testament to the industry's commitment to sustainability and its potential role in the green revolution. What in God's name is going on here? with this like rational reporting on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin energy use. Oh man, I, I need to talk to Nolan about this. I wonder what he's saying about this because he is big on the Bitcoin and energy. That is what's going to take this to the next level. And I mean, I, I don't disagree with him. I think price is more important, but uh, yeah, crazy. So where are all the Bitcoiners claiming they are going to fight tooth and nail against Bitcoin? I said that Bitcoin's incentives will court the powerful elites, just like, and I didn't finish that sentence. God damn it. <laughs> oh, that happens. So, um, yeah, where are all the Bitcoiners? Like Marty Bent and others that come out and say, 
you know, they're going to fight us. They're coming for us. I mean, I don't mean to pick on Marty. He's a good guy, but that is a common trope out there. But I, I have said pretty much since the beginning of this podcast, you go back to 2016. And I said that the incentives work on the individual, that these people like the, the story I used probably back in 2014 or 20, whenever I uh, started going to Bitcoin meetups and stuff, um, is that the bankers will go into their boardroom and they'll say, that, you know, they'll vote or whatever, say we, we're not going to get involved with Bitcoin, but then they go home and buy Bitcoin because the incentives work and they work on the individual. So they're not going to fight us because by the time they get around to fighting Bitcoin, 25 to 50% of people already own Bitcoin. And then uh, in the last couple of years, I'm like, we have the billionaires. You know, think about the top. I don't know how many billionaires are in the world, but let's say the top 100 billionaires. How many of them own some Bitcoin? Again, maybe 25%, maybe even 50% own a little of the top most powerful people, their incentives are now aligned with our incentives against banning it. So these Bitcoiners that are claiming that they're going to be a, there's going to be a fight. I just, there might be some fights, some places, but overall it's not, it's not going to be that way. Okay. So let's move on a uh, Bitcoin network to reduce more emissions than its energy sources produce. Again, another positive, um, Another positive story out of Forbes here. So like EVs, Bitcoin does not have any direct emissions. Oh my God, hallelujah. Bitcoin is zero emission. Thank you, Pierre Rochard. Thank you, Bitcoin memers. Bitcoin is zero emission, just like EVs. And now this is in Forbes. We want to go one step further and also mitigate all emissions caused by use of electricity. That's Batten, Daniel uh, Batten. He's been writing a lot about Bitcoin's energy use. According to him, by targeting landfills that vent their methane, they can mitigate emissions 10 times faster than other techniques. Yeah, that's a big untapped market. I know that for sure. So, okay, next story. Struggling Bitcoin miners wary of tokens big having event. This is a stupid headline, tokens, but... Anyway, I, I, I've included this to show that it's not all positive, but it's not that bad, okay? Having is also all over the mainstream headlines. As predicted, the having is a hype event in addition to a mechanical supply event. As the mechanical effect affects wane in coming cycles, so as the having, you know, goes down by a less percentage, uh, well, I mean, it always gets cut in half, but as a less percentage of the total supply as, you know, like an inflation rate uh, goes down, this has waning mechanical effects, but the hype will grow. It will be a celebration of certainty in a very uncertain world. It'll become more and more popular as like a, even a holiday, perhaps in 50 years. So anyway, interesting paragraph could explain the miners selling Bitcoin right now. So even in this negative news article that is a minority right now. Uh, this was an interesting thing that I actually got some something out of. So the global mining industry has 4.5 billion to 6 billion in debt. So that's Bitcoin mining industry down from 8 billion in 2022. Spanning senior debt, loans collateralized by mining rigs and Bitcoin backed loans estimated by Ethan Vera, chief operations officer at crypto mining services firm Luxor Technologies. Understanding loans for 12 major public mining companies such as Marathon and Riot stood at around $2 billion at the end of the first quarter, down from $2.3 billion in the previous quarter, data compiled by Hashrate Index shows. So this is a lot of paying down of debt, which could be why they are we see them selling right now. Now, this is the important line in the article for the FUD aspect of it. So not FUD, but, you know, negative aspect. Nearly half of the miners will suffer given they have less efficient mining operations with higher costs. And this is from Gerard Mellerud. Uh, but I don't, they might've cut off the rest of his statement because I don't think Jaron would say something like this. He, because 
I, I just finished a statement for it. Of course, for him. Of course, it is unless price doubles before the halving, which I expect it will. So yeah, if price doubles, then the halving won't have any additional effect. But if they struggle, that's fine. You know, they'll they'll either find capital or they'll sell their mining equipment to a more profitable company that can manage that equipment better. It's not like mining the hash rate goes away. And I even talked about recently the um, commodity. How do I? What, how do you say that? Commoditization of facilities, not just the mining rigs themselves, but of the facilities. So the facilities will, uh, these miners that are suffering, they could sell their entire facility to a new mining company. So it isn't like this hash rate is going to go away or there's going to be any problems with block times or fees or anything like that. Okay. These things can be sold off wholesale, like completely the whole facility can be sold with the miners and everything. Difficulty in hash rate. Hash rate surges this week to new all-time high, even as miners continue to route Bitcoin to exchanges from their reserves. I should put that. But this is a good image from SEPA, and I do link to my sources, if at all possible. But you can see this green line is the three-day kind of average or estimate of hash rate because you can't get a real number for hash rate. You get a number based on the block times, right? And so you can see this looks like it hit a new all-time high up here just recently. And the hash rate or the difficulty is supposed to jump by 7% tomorrow. So there you go. Mempool. So the mempool has not dropped a ton in size this week, but it continues to slowly chew through this. As you can see, we're getting into this dark purple section down here. And if you zoom all the way back to this side, so this looks like April, mid-April, they the miners chewed through this last bit pretty darn quickly. So we could see an empty mempool within a couple of weeks. I don't know if that's going to be the case if we do see price pop here, but you know, right now the mempool is fine. The mining industry is super healthy and everything's all good there. Lightning Network. This is a story. I did cover it last week on a live stream, and it's about lightning and AI. So I just pulled this from an article on Bitcoin Magazine. They had a really technical write-up. That's one thing I like about Bitcoin Magazine is, one, they're Bitcoin only. I mean, 99%, depending on how you classify ordinals, I guess. But I don't really have a big problem with that because it will work itself out. It's not like it needs to be a fight or anything. You just... Let the market, let the market work. But uh, this is a good article. They tend to have good technical articles. Let's just read a little bit of this. One of the tools included in the release is Langchain Bitcoin, which enables Langchain agents to interact directly with Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. It includes features such as LLM agent Bitcoin tools, which utilize OpenAI GPT function. Uh, sorry, function calls to enable developers to create agents capable of holding a Bitcoin balance, sending, receiving Bitcoin on Lightning, and driving with an LND node. The L402 protocol introduced in 2020 is a standard for payment metered APIs designed to utilize the existing HTTP 402 payment required status response code. So if you guys don't know, I mean, listeners to this podcast probably know this, but you know how you get a 404 or whatever when a website's down? Well, way back at the beginning of designing the HTTP protocol, they had a 402 error and it was a payment error. Back from the beginning of the internet, they had envisioned something like Bitcoin and that error code is still there. And now they're using that error code in the design of Lightning with AI. It's pretty fantastic. It combines Bitcoin and Lightning Network to enable global micropayments for paid APIs. So very interesting what's going on there in Lightning. I hope to see it continue. And that is going to do it, guys, for this week. Again, my name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. 
check out bitcoinandmarkets.com sign up for the fundamentals report uh, it's free comes out every monday also have different tiers to support and different tiers for content over there on the website uh, i'm live streaming on youtube and rumble make sure you guys like subscribe and comment there twitch twitter and telegram what's up guys over on telegram that's my home base for all my daily posts i post there way more than i do on twitter uh, but anyway, guys, thanks for joining me. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Hope the, you know, to the moon this week with Bitcoin. And I'll check you on the next one. Bye.